swerving, I'm really urban. The girl I'm with is so suburban. Beer got me bourbon, and every time I get the urge, she be coming urgently. Boy, your girl look like Ursula. Make my eyes hurt. All my niggas take the pie up and get a piece. I got polo fleece in my closet. She really deep. Got no little B. Oh my God, all you niggas weak. Just stay underneath. Close the curtains. Your boys all burden to me. Got a shield like Link. Keep it trill, bum B. Riding dirty pimp C. Taylor D on this B. Estás escuchando el podcast con más huevos, más huevos que los demás. Yo, 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 it's the What Did He Said podcast. This your boy Chingo Blingo with the Big Tamarindo. Today's episode is brought to you by TheCancunLife.com. Check it out for snapbacks, hoodies, so many holiday specials right now popping off like the very popular Tamale Season sweater. We always got stuff dropping. So if you want to get some Chingo Bling merch and things of that nature, make sure you visit TheCancunLife.com. Today we got my homeboy, man, Houston rapper, Fat Tony, all right? His album is out right now. It's called McGregor Park. It's his fourth studio album, and it follows a 2013 release, an album he had called Smart Ass Blackboard. I love his titles, man. Uh, McGregor Park, man, it's right around the corner. Fat Tony stopped by, talked about everything from hooking up with ASAP Rocky, Yams, and the whole ASAP crew to representing Houston all the way in Mexico City. Now he's, he's uh, back and forth between LA and Houston. Talks about briefly being homeless, man. It's a crazy struggle. But right now, ladies and gentlemen, Fat Tony. Sass. <laughs> yeah, DJ Clue style. You know what I'm saying? It's your boy Chingo Blingo with the big tamarindo. It's the What Did He Said podcast. It's it's cloudy. It's rainy. You know what I'm saying? If it, it this is our form of winter. This right here. This little gloomy, little humid Seattle. Little cold humid. That's what we have. Welcome back to the city, man. Where where are you coming from? You you're never What's home. Happening? So right now, yo, but by the way, we in, we, in, we in Third Ward. We in Third Ward, Houston, Texas. My home, you dig. It's Fat Tony, Anthony Obi. Uh, and I'm coming from my homie Lucas Gorm's house right now. But originally, I just took my ass from L.A. to where I, I've been living for the last year. And we took a little road trip, and we drove down to Houston for the holidays. So so you, you've been out there for a year? LA. I've been out there for a year, yeah. And then prior to L.A. for a year, you were in... I was in Mexico City. For a year? I was there for like about a year, but I ran the uh, program that you performed at for yeah. like six months. So like that was the bulk of my time. And, and then the other half of the year, I would like fly in, in and out for different stuff. Yeah. Man, uh, Mexico City. What, what, um, what colonia, what neighborhood? Or I lived in uh, Cuauhtémoc and I lived in, that was where I had my like, like most of my time was uh, spent there. And I stayed in... Polanco for like two months. That's the little bar. But like, area. but like, Cuauhtémoc was was my my main neighborhood right by the uh, statue. Did you the miss Angel of Independence? Did you miss the earthquake? Yeah, yeah, totally. By the time the earthquake hit, I was back in L.A. living there, um, and I'd actually me and my girlfriend went to visit Mexico City this summer, like maybe a month and a half before the earthquake happened. What was your first time in Mexico City? My first time in Mexico City was spring 2015. I performed at the Normal Music Festival, and um, shit opened my eyes. And what did you think, man? What was your first like? What were you expecting? What was your impression? So I knew that Mexico City was like a world class city, so I expected it to be huge and be kind of like a New York or like Paris or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, what I didn't expect were the type of fans that I met there. You know, this being my first time playing there, 
I met a lot of people who were new to my music, but I met a few people who had heard of me before. And just the way that they interacted with me as a musician, I felt like was, was really different than what I was used to in like the States. Like I felt like a lot of the audience there had like a level of respect for the performers. Rather than here, I feel like a lot of the audience feels like they're one and the same with, with, with the performer, like, mm-hmm. like they're peers of them. Yeah. Um, and I definitely felt like there people were like looking at me like, yo, thank you for being an artist coming out here to play music. I'm really appreciative of it. Yeah. Can we take a picture? Can you sign this? And and then that's it. There, there weren't folks trying to like, you know, buy me drinks or like party with me. It wasn't that type of thing that you find here. Whereas, whereas here I feel like it it makes the audience feel better when you are closer to them, when, when it does seem like y'all Y'all are peers. They can appreciate you more when they can leave and say, oh, I met him and he's a nice guy and he had a drink with me and he's just a regular dude. Uh-huh. Um, but there I felt Over like there, they, they respect really wanted like the me. mystique a little bit? Yeah, they, they like really viewed me like, yo, <clears throat> I paid my ticket to come and watch you perform. Thank you. Good night. Yeah. Which and, I like. And my dad, my dad would always tell me stories. Um, like Mexico City is obviously like different than the rest of the country. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Um, I, I'm new to experience in Mexico City. Like, I grew up going to, like, the Frontera, like, close, mm-hmm. right up under Texas. And um, I think it was the first time I ever went to Mexico City was just a few years ago, like, mm-hmm. right before I went and did the show uh, for you out there. And um, let me see. I, my sister was living out there for a little while. Um, but it's crazy. Like, I tell people all the time, I was like, hey, man, it's a black dude that made it possible for me to perform in Mexico City. It's crazy. So thank you, man. No like, like what what the hell are the chances? Like, that's already like a crazy scenario. Like, Fat Tony from Houston. It wasn't like a, um, a promoter from Mexico or nothing. Um, but yeah, I, I, I had a great time just hanging out. Like, it, yeah. everything about Mexico City, man, is, is crazy. Uh, we had my boy uh, Dave from Tipping Point. I don't know if you know David. I know him very well. Um, he was talking about growing up in Mexico City and... We talked about like the food. He was saying it's like the design uh, capital or whatever, like the leader in design in the world. Absolutely. Um, just so many things, and and it's like what twenty million people or something. And mm-hmm. More than that. I didn't. Yeah. More than that, like twenty five, twenty seven million. It's the yeah. biggest city in the Western Hemisphere. And you don't even get to like I didn't get to see, but a little smidgen of it. You yeah. Know what I mean, it's it's amazing, man. Um, yeah, coming out there really changed my entire outlook on being an artist and just on being a person, really, because when I went out there the first time to play the Normal Festival, it was great. Then I came back a year later to perform at the after party for the Material Art Fair, and I was hanging out with the organizers of the art fair who also threw the the after party. They have a crew that they call the Hip Hop League, and they're like big fans of rap music, and they've been for a long time. And they've always been advocating for rap music to grow in Mexico City, where unlike other parts of Mexico, rap isn't as big in that city, right? Uh So when I was playing that second show out there, they were telling me how much they love rap and they feel kind of like ostracized because nobody that they know really likes rap the way that they do. And I kind of thought to myself that, you know, hip hop has been such an important part of my life. It's, It's saved my life time and time again in in various ways, and I want to spread it. 
you know, and a lot of the, the hip hop that I encountered in Mexico City at the time was was usually of like the boom bap, the East Coast variety, the 90s East Coast variety, mm -hmm. which is great, but I felt like that's such a limited view of what rap is, because rap is so diverse. You have so many different styles and different genres from like stuff that happens in like the Bay Area to Southern California to Atlanta to Memphis to Miami to Houston to, you know, it goes on and on. So I started my party, Function, to kind of show people in that city, to like show people that love rap there, that rap is a big thing, and to expose the the, the whole of hip hop to other folks there who had never heard of it. Like I met so many people out there who would tell me that the first rappers they ever heard of were like 50 Cent, mm -hmm. Outkast, Eminem, like the first time even hearing of the genre rap. Wow. And living here in, in the U.S., you know, we like definitely live in a bubble where like, you know, if, if I, I grew up from the 80s and on, you've, you're very aware of rap music in some capacity. You've, you've, you've heard it every week of your life, either on the radio or on television or, on, or out of someone else's mouth. You know, but there's a lot of places in the world that that the hip hop is just reaching to, and um, I, I like want to be someone that I can bring that. You know, because I'm because I'm not just a performer. I fucking love this music. I'm yeah. a, I'm a serious serious fan, and I'm very knowledgeable of hip hop, and I want to spread that. It's like like an ambassador. Absolutely. So let me let me drop that applause one time. Hey, you know what I'm saying. Man, so traveling definitely gives it a uh, gives you like a whole nother perspective. Like, like I know, um, anytime we get to go out of the country and stuff, we'll see like a little graffiti, you know, and we're seeing like um, like a lot of American influence. Like, no matter no matter where you are, sometimes good and bad. Sometimes it might be in the form of Burger King, you know, like fast food. Sometimes it's in the form of like uh, bootleg movies. Um, but when it comes to like Hip hop, which is obviously like an art form and, and culture, it, it is dope that you're like like an ambassador, and then especially representing Houston, and yeah. then showing people like the sub genres of like the Bay Area. This it's is important. what Miami brought to the game. This is what Memphis brings to the game. All that is what makes rap music and the whole culture tight. Uh huh. The sum of all its parts is what makes this whole thing special. If like rap music had only remained a New York thing, it would not be as tight as, as it is now. Yeah. Same if it had, had remained a, a LA thing or, or an Atlanta thing, you know? All of it is what makes me love this shit so much because there's literally something for every emotion, every mood, every type of person. It's the most universal type of music and culture I've ever seen. And there's some people don't know how to listen to it or how to appreciate it. Not at all. But because it's... It's also hard to teach because it's so many details uh -huh. and nuances that make each part of this special. Like, you know, Houston's special because of a few moves that were made back in the day that led to certain kind of artists like, like you and I being here. Mm -hmm. And if you don't know the history of that, you, you, you don't really have the proper context to really appreciate us fully, yeah. I think. Yeah, 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 for sure. Especially when you look at, like, influences and ingredients like okay you got a little bit of fat pat right here a little mm -hmm. bit of you know uh spm or you know low g and you got like just the whole spectrum you know uh ugk pimp c mm -hmm. you know everybody has a you know not like borrows but everybody's influence and has 
that in their little ingredients. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I like, you know, I, I, I love so many Texas rap artists. I can't ever say that, like, Houston music or Texas music is just screw sound or the UGK sound. You know, it's 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 all that shit. It's Swisher House. It is everybody. Every 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 one of those cliques has their own sound and their own style, their own slang. It's really deep. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. It's it's Texas is like its own country, even culturally, not not just population size. You know. Yeah, yeah. I'll be seeing like Devin the Dude, Matt Sanzala, like way out in like Sweden and Denmark and stuff, like performing. Yeah. You know, it's tripping. It's like, oh, that's awesome that they can. Like we don't, we don't. Sometimes the local Houstonians don't know how. Um, like, like Devin the dude, that's a national treasure, man. Absolutely. Like this man is still walking the earth. Like this dude is amazing, mm-hmm. and people in other countries like see it for sure, for sure. Madison's all is one of the first people who I ever saw that would bring Houston artists to different parts of the world, and that kind of inspired me to to do what I do in Mexico City. It was awesome, man. I had and, I, fun. and I would like to do it in more countries too. Straight yeah. up, man. Speaking of more countries, man, I just saw um, you and I spoke about it <clears throat> a while back, which was like the pop music scene coming out of Nigeria, and mm-hmm. I, I call it pop only because it's like world, it's global, it has a little bit of that dance hall. Drake borrowed a little bit by messing with some of the artists out there, like you know Wizkid, mm-hmm. and I saw something on um, on Vice where they basically went. To uh, how you say Legos, Lagos, Legos. Legos, and they were, you know how Vice is like the little guy with the little glasses, and they're yeah. like, we're over here in a shanty town where you know the studio, and uh, it was amazing how artists were making the most out of what they had. Like yes. if they could just get that, you know, I mean, different different cats that I saw had different like economic type of situation, mm-hmm. but I know for the most part, like, hey man, if I could just get this mic. If I don't let me get a Wi-Fi connection, yeah, like don't let me get a laptop, Mm -hmm. and these cats are working wonders with just little programs, and it sounds amazing. Um, And we talked about it, so you're pretty familiar, man. You're half Nigerian, right? Yeah, my dad is like really proud of that when when it comes to music from um, Nigeria. He loves playing me some of that old music and and being like, "Yo, son, these are like some like home brewed instruments, like." Cats are just like making sounds out of stuff that we found together and it's tight, you know? And and I feel the same way about rap music. Like a lot of folks get into rap music but not even being music musical at first and they become musical from that. They're like making music with like stuff that's not a traditional instrument a lot of times, especially back in the beginning, using like samplers and all these machines that weren't intended to make beats to make beats at a time when beats weren't even considered music and it was proven to be musical, you know? That's that's the far out part of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, now you got this new wave of kids that, you know, what's the name? XXX, Tentacion. Yeah. <laughs> like these little guys where they yeah. where they use like the distortion, like, well, we had a shitty mic. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Our shit was redlining and they found a way to make it work. And, yeah. um, and it's just crazy. It's like off subject, on subject. But I was telling Taylor, man, um, that last night somehow I, on Instagram somehow I stumbled across like Lex Luger and Lex Luger uh, calling out Lex Luger calling out other producers and this and that. And um, I was like, man, this dude, <laughs> he was tripping, man. What do you say? I don't know what's wrong with this cat. Like he, I don't know, man. But like his, 
I don't know if it's the ego or if he's on something, but he was just he was just <laughs> like, man, what was Juicy J doing before I, I, I helped him? He was doing. He like clown like whatever song you suggest. He's like, what was Ace Hood doing before I came? And basically, that was me. Damn. Like I created trap, type of thing. But it's just one of those things, man. Where like, you can't always be the one, the main yeah. one. You're gonna have a whole bunch of other counterparts and producers and cycles and shit. Music's man. supposed to go on and it's supposed to spread itself. And by spreading itself, you can't be a stickler about taking the credit all the time. And you have to realize that you just play a part in it. Like, you know, for like him to say that like he brought Juicy J out. Yes, Juicy J had a revival in his music career after he, he began working with him. But the music that Juicy J and 3-6 Mafia made before him led to Lex oh, Luger yeah. oh, making yeah. the kind of music that he made. Yeah, for sure. And then I'm sure there are some musicians before 3-6 Mafia that influenced them. You know, this whole shit just keeps on going. You like can't be a stickler about it. You definitely can't be a dickhead about it, especially <laughs> yeah. when, when you're working with like legends. I think that's some real sucker shit. Yeah, yeah, we're going to have to drop the applause on now. You, you can tell I just got this little soundboard, man. <laughs> I said, man, we're going to get you in. It's going to be official. Overdo so, it, please. How, how's L.A. treating you, man? L.A.'s chill. You know, this This is my second time living there. It's the first place I ever lived when I first moved out of my parents' house when I was 23. First time I ever got a record deal, any type of situation. And uh, second time around, I like it a lot more. When I first was, was living there, it was such... It was too like chill and slow paced for me because I was LA? used to living in Houston and in Brooklyn. Um, Houston and like Brooklyn's where I got like the most of my musical edu- education that kind mm-hmm. of made me become a serious artist. Uh-huh. And uh, when I first got to LA back in 2012, everybody just wanted to like hang out and just smoke weed and just relax. And I thought that was corny. I was used to like having mad things to do in one day and be running around. Like that's that's what I thrive on. I thrive on staying busy. When I'm just idle and I don't have much to do, I feel like I don't feel like myself. I feel anxious. Like like I like having a busy schedule. I I like taking phone calls. I like making songs. I like having shit to do. I like being on the go. Phone calls, man. Um, Fuck that. But um <laughs> well, <laughs> well, well, well by phone calls, I don't mean blow me up, but yeah. you know, I I just like there to be like Oh, I, oh, I need to get back with that person, or I need to have a meeting with this person, or I need to chop yeah. it up with this person, see what we can do about this other situation. But um, LA now is more chill. I'm enjoying the, man, uh, the fires, uh, collaborators man. that I have. Some crazy ass fires. Fires are fucked up. You know, the climate change is fucking up the, that en- shit is the real. entire world. We can do a whole episode about that shit, honestly. That shit is real. But everything that we've seen this this uh, year from the earthquake in Mexico, the Hurricane Harvey down in Texas, to the wildfires in Northern and Southern California, it is completely due to that bullshit a lot of people out there are trying to deny. Yeah, so Which we I'm need Elon Musk. Elon Musk, if you're hearing this, my brother, I need you to come on with, with, with the come on and save the earth the way I know you can. <laughs> Make it happen, man. Seriously, everybody's got to do their part, especially people that have a, a bit of power. Man, this shit is crazy, man. Like, we got we, we even got snow in Houston 
And like meanwhile, <laughs> like simultaneously, California was on fire. Then yeah, there's, there's all kind of shit going on like all around the world. LA been having all these heat waves this this year. It's been something else. But yeah. LA's cool. You know, part of me feels like living in LA is kind of corny. You know what I mean? Like I feel like it's such a typical thing. You know, every rapper does it, and. Part of me feels like it's kind of lame living there, but it is really great for my business and great for my uh, career. But I'm the type of person that doesn't sit uh, still anywhere. I'm always moving around. Yeah. So well, I'm, yeah, I'm man, like here I'm, now, and, I'm, and I'll always be coming back to Los Angeles, getting it cracked and working with, with people, trying to make the best art possible. But I don't consider myself like a straight-up L.A. person or a person that is going to be there for the rest of my life. But on the same token... I think it's really important to acknowledge and to honor the real LA people who were there before us, the hometown people, because a lot of folks like like me come there to you know glow up and to grow in, 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 in our careers and our artistry. And most of us don't give back, nor do we acknowledge the folks there. So I'm really taking it, it upon myself. What, what do you to, mean, like, like just the regular? What do you mean? Like, folks? you know, there's like so many transplants that moved to LA mm -hmm. to get on in the entertainment business, yeah. right? And they gentrify the shit up. They take fools parking spaces. Uh, they they like complain about neighbors who, who like playing loud music, who've been playing loud music there for decades. You know, a lot of fuck shit that is rude in my Oh, opinion. so the transplants you know start I mean? fucking it up for the locals. Yes. You know, recently I put on a uh, benefit concert with Lucas Gorham for this, this this local Aztec dance group that's from a neighborhood near ours. And we really did that to like honor people who are who are there before us, you know, mm -hmm. because they don't get any kind of acknowledgement from like folks that are the transplants. A lot of times the transplants come and they want to turn a blind eye to to anything local there and just plant their, their own flag and like start their own businesses and, and, and their own lofts and all this shit. And I think it's it's really disrespectful in like lots of ways. So I don't want anybody that's from LA to take what I'm saying the wrong way. I am very appreciative of everything that the city gives me, but I'm not one of these fools running around thinking that living there has made my life. You know, I'm I'm like not running around acting Hollywood or feeling like LA is the best city in the world and shitting on my hometown or, uh, or, or on their hometown. Yeah, that's yeah, just not yeah. how I rock. Yeah, there's a lot of them. Uh, I was out there for about 11 months, and um, yeah, I, I feel you though on stuff feeling like cliche where it's like, and really what what I, it's like a love and hate thing where LA where obviously I mean, it is saturated with a lot of like, you know, poser type people mm -hmm. that want to just, you know, it's like, man, you got to, you got to really have a game plan to, if you're really trying to compete with everybody that's out there. Straight up. Uh, I don't care if it's comedy, acting, writing, like music, whatever form of art you, you're trying to pursue out there, man. Like it, it's the belly of the beast. Mm -hmm. um, I forget, I forget who it was said they were about to move out there. I was like, oh, the belly of the beast, huh? But yeah, no, but for real though, like a lot of a lot of locals helped me too. Like um my boy Kiki that helped me find a spot out there in East LA. Nice. I, I loved it out there. Uh, that's uh where I'm at. I live in uh, Lincoln Heights. Oh, okay. Oh yeah, yeah. You right there. Yeah, you right there. Um but yeah, 
all the homies that I met, like studios and stuff. It was great. Just there's that other part though. Where it's like, man, the traffic. Oh yeah, it's garbage. The traffic <laughs> and like, like you know, I I just want to um get my shit in order outside of LA yeah. and then pop in, pop out. Yeah, totally. Be. Like um, especially like like now with technology, like um, well everything that we're trying to do, like we're touring in comedy without being based out of LA. Mm-hmm. Like you could do a podcast from from Houston, and I really I want to get Houston popping. Um, our Netflix special, we shot it here. Like we made sure they put they sprinkled in a whole bunch of little Houston stuff wherever they could, like in transitions. Like you I see Shipley Donuts, you see a bunch of little stuff in there. Um, and, and I always tell people when we do shows, I'm like, you know, thank y'all for supporting the, the special or whatever. And, uh, you know, we shot it in Texas, independent, and we didn't, um, what is it? We, you know, they wanted us to go to Hollywood, do everything out there type of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, especially in Texas, motherfuckers get crunk. You tell them that. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. You know, everybody got to just just don't forget the home team wherever you from. <laughs> You yeah, know what sure. I mean? Just don't forget, my nigga. They gonna be there longer than that other shit that you flirting with right now. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure, for sure. But so, you know, LA shit though, rapper shit, and you know, comics, comics too, but I'm really talking like rappers right now. Every rapper gotta do their LA sentence. Every rapper gotta live there for at least some part of their life. And try to now, get a deal and like everybody hit, hit, hit does. The studio. It is part of the whole experience. You have to do it. You have to do it. Now, for some people, it is best to stay there and to live your whole life out there if your situation is working out right. But even if it's not gonna go in that direction, you at least gotta come back and be like, man, I went out there and I made some moves, I signed some contracts, I made some money, oh. and I'm and I still go out there to work every year, a few times a year. But you got to go out there and serve your time, find an apartment, sit in traffic. Nigga, every real nigga before you did it, you got to do it too. Sit in that motherfucking traffic. <laughs> um, man, what was I finna say about LA, man? Shit. Yo, I love having this little industry talk right, right now. For, yeah, yeah, for, the, for real. For the heads out there, you know what I mean? Oh, Anybody oh, trying this... to pursue their dreams, tune in. This, this, is, what I, this is what I want to say. How shark infested, like how much fake shit. That's really like a big part of what I, like I appreciate a lot of, like even the style in LA, like how they make it look like, you know, even like, um, even like on the fashion tip, it, mm-hmm. it's like, it looks real effortless and shit and kind of just put together, but it, but it's fly. But, uh, but for sure though, it's a lot of like, like sharks. It's like. Like leeches, like Absolutely. motherfuckers will straight up lie to you in your fucking face. Like, Bad business. Hey man, oh they'll drop a couple little names, and if you're if you're green, if if you're uh, a little bit thirsty, or if you go out there a little too thirsty and you don't you're not secure with what you have going because you don't got your shit all the way rocking and rolling properly, you could get lost in the sauce and you start falling for the shit like, oh, no, 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 come, hey, man, come with me. Look, I, I'm, I'm going to rep you and we're going to do this and I've I done this for these people and then we're going to get this popping. Yep. And before you know it, this shit kind of happened to me a, a, a little bit. Before you know it, you you have to get, um, how do I explain it? Like there was this one cat that was supposedly like on some agent manager type shit. This mm-hmm. is like years ago, back when I was um, dibbing and dabbing in the acting stuff. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and some people kind of had to pull me aside, kind of like, hey, man, uh, th- this dude, 
you know, either he burned bridges or he rubs people the wrong way. Yep. He's kind of like, he's basically a bullshitter and all that's going to rub off on you. Yes, bro. <laughs> basically. That is a great statement, what you just said right there. Everybody needs to remember that. Even even us, as we go forward in like our careers, because much, much like you, I'm a lifer in this shit. I ain't done making stuff up and you know performing and trying to trying to grow. Mm-hmm. That is something that you you gotta have your whole life a good bullshit detector and being out there will will train your ass. <laughs> Man, watch for all the signs. There's a lot of flags out there, and then once you start dealing with so many different people and start lining things things up and seeing how. This one fool that was shady kind of moves in a similar way to this new guy, or this new girl, or yeah. this new person you just met. Yeah, because take so, your notes. Because a big part of LA is set up and based to profit off of people arriving with a dream. Yes. So you're gonna have, and and you know what? Not knocking all of them because if you're an acting coach and you have a class, and you have a little theater space, and you're really trying to school people, well, you're always going to have business, because it's always going to be a steady stream of wannabe actors, mm-hmm. right? Um, so I'm not knocking them, but a big portion of the town is set up on, all right, man, we got these little newbies coming in, do these little casting call type of things, or a cattle call, where you mm-hmm. got a million people trying out for the same spot. Oh, speaking of uh, actors and shit, you remember um, the rapper Aztec? Yes. Here? He's doing his thing. He's doing his thing out there, acting wise. Really? Yeah, I, I gotta give him I props. Think you told me about that. Well, I, I gotta give him props. Um, I, I don't know. I met him like one time, mm-hmm. and um, some people were trying to make it like a little uh competitive thing because I guess he did an interview and they had asked him. This is so old. He's yeah, hello. Yeah, like yeah. props to the guy. Anyway, he just said something like, "Oh man, they they try to compare him to like." They try to throw me and Baby Bash's name in a question, and he was just like, "Nah, man, you know, you need to put me in this other category." Da da da. Because he was like a like like the lyrical quote unquote. I guess, yeah. I mean, I don't know, but but acting shit is really really working out for him. I, I think better. That's you what's know, up. and and you know, I'm not saying I'm motherfucking rock him. I'm not trying to knock nobody's raps. You know what I'm saying? But props to him uh, on the, on the acting shit. Uh, he he he's in this new thing called. Um, Smilf, it's on Showtime. Oh, I seen ads for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the Smilf thing, he plays like the uh, like the boyfriend or baby daddy of that's the lead amazing. of the lead girl. It's amazing. So that that's awesome because uh, you know he didn't he didn't just disappear or, or give up on some shit and um, yeah. and that's an example of like hey if you go out there and you, you really gonna um like props to actors in general man they have to go through a lot of so shit it's, it's very hard just to land that little part it's very hard and then sometimes man. They, these uh some of these projects like they might see you but they don't some of them don't pay as good as others like that's a big part of that game out there too dude i did some like acting shit i'm i'm like not a seasoned actor i've like done a few things like uh, like like some like tv commercials and, like shit like that i like did this like small part in this indie comedy movie trailer came out i was, like shot it years ago it like just came out like earlier this year Trailer came out. I was in the first trailer. By the third trailer, that part was removed, and they told me they like took out my my whole character. You know, small part, like maybe like a fifteen minute part. Yeah. But they took it out, so that means like you can do all this work, get the part, film it, and you still might not make it. Get paid and everything. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm I'm learning a lot of um, 
Like, for instance, when they cut your character, they were basically cutting that whole storyline. Yes. And then by cutting that whole storyline, they probably were were advised to either, like, shorten it or things were getting too convoluted with, like, too many characters and shit. Straight up. So I'm learning all about, like, the writing process and all that. So how, how did Brooklyn treat you, man? How was that? How Changed long? my whole life. You know, how, I was, how old were you? Or how long ago was that? Or I first went to New York when I was 21. Like a few months after I turned 21, I played my first show, and it was during the CMJ Festival, which is similar to South by Southwest. They don't do it anymore, but it was pretty similar like South by Southwest. We're all over the city. Various venues had different concerts. It's all in New York. Showcases, uh-huh. yeah, all in New York, mostly in, in uh, Manhattan and in, and in Brooklyn. Like mostly like lower Manhattan and in Brooklyn. Um, and at the time, my main music producer, Tom Cruise, C-R-U-Z, he was living out there and his manager was living out there too. And I just started going there a whole bunch to work with him on my first album, Rabdar Gab. And I just started building a network there and just like falling in love with it. And I would keep going and keep going. And, and I would go for like, you know, first I would go stay for like a couple of weeks. Then I'd go and stay for like a month. Then I started to come and stay. I remember my, my like longest stay there before I moved there. I like stayed there for like three months or, or something uh-huh. one time. Wow. Like, like freaking school, school let out. I walked out of UH. Got on a plane, went to New York, and I was like, yo, I'm going to be here until the fall semester starts type of shit. Oh, so you went to U of H? Yeah, I, like, I went to University of St. Thomas for uh, two years, and I went to U of H. And uh, Rab Dar Gab, read a book, do a report, get a book. That a was book. <laughs> an HISD campaign to get our, our little badasses to like read more books back in elementary school. And... I just remember that like title from, from from that program, and I always wanted to name one of my projects that, or like a song that. Like I remember thinking back in like sixth or seventh grade, I was like, when I make an album, I want to name it Rabdar Gab because I know people my age that are from Houston are going to get it. Yeah, and I remember writing it down in my like journal. Something, yeah, thinking about this. Uh, so yeah. like that was like I don't know like two thousand one when I was that age. Flash all the way to 2010, I finally put the album out when I was an adult. And, and I, I remember that title. I think I read an article or something, and they broke it down. Because, um, I don't know, I, I didn't really like get it at first. Yeah. But once it, once they broke it down, I was like, oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. That was like something straight up. I like made that move straight up for my generation. Yeah. Like if you were between the ages, like if you, like I'm 29 now. If like you between the ages of like 26... And 32, 31, 30, you've definitely heard of this yeah. if you went to public school in Houston. You know what man, I mean? Man, bro, you're only 29. Yeah. Man, you, you done put in some work, man. You done, you said from 21 that you like got in the game basically, yeah. moved to Brooklyn. That's not that long ago. Yeah. Like, you ain't even really been in it 10 years. Yeah. But you done I'm moved tr- around New York, LA, Mexico City. Where, where else have you lived? Those are the only places that I've lived. Um, Those are some big ass cities. <laughs> yeah, but you know, going going to Brooklyn was a lot of the same lessons that we were talking about going to L.A. Uh-huh. You know, that was my first experience going dealing with like sharks, dealing with people who are bullshitters, and also dealing with people who I like, could help and I could learn from. 
Yeah. And you know, that's a that's a really doggy dog town. Like like I've been like homeless out there. I remember my like grandma who like basically raised me passed away when yeah. I was out there. I had to borrow money to fly back to Houston to go to the funeral. Like I didn't been through it all out there. And honestly, some of my hardest times being out there was when I set things up for like me to be where I'm at now. Like like I was staying with a friend of mine, me and her got into an argument and I couldn't stay with her anymore. And I remember I left from the studio with ASAP Rocky and went to her house and found out I could not stay there anymore. And I'm just like, damn, life's a trip. And this is ASAP Rocky when he was popping? Or? This is when his first album came out. Um, the purple? Yeah, the, it, had, it, had, it had purple swag on it, peso uh -huh. on it. Yams was a friend of mine via the, via the internet, and he DM'd me asking me to pull up to um, our mutual friend Daniel Linus's studio because they were recording a project with him. Pulled up, hung out with them, did a feature for them, thought that they were great guys. A few months later, Rocky's album came out and it blew up and damn near everybody that was associated with that project got some kind of deal or some type of attention in some way, shape or form. Everybody that was a part of that project went on to do great things and I feel like everybody there when I even feel I know everybody on that project was handpicked by uh, Yams to come and work on it. it wasn't like me and Rocky knew each other you know Yams reached out to me and all these different producers and, and we're like yo uh, check out this artist that I'm working with I think your vibe with him when he stepped to me, he was like, yo, we love Houston music. Check check me out. I got a screw tattoo. I'm like... Yams had that or Rocky had Yams that? Yams did. I'm like, oh. I'm like, damn, y'all y'all niggas are serious. I ain't never seen somebody this far in the country tell me such detailed things about a Botany yeah. Boy song. Yeah. Wow. Fucking C-note in the Botany Boy. Yeah. Damn. So yeah, every, every artist, I think, every person, definitely has to experience some like hardships and some fuckery to like get the education you like need to be a professional. Well, yeah, man, like you're mature, bro. That's what I was trying to say earlier. It's like you're not even 30 yet, but you like got up, move, you know, move around, network, like, you know, meet folks, perform, throw a party. You know yeah, what I'm saying? I like, like took it seriously from like day from like being a little kid. I was like, this is what I would like to do. I don't want to do nothing else. Yeah. Like, I just went to the uh, University of Houston earlier. They're like making a um, archive of like Houston rap music. They, they have one for Screw and for Big Hawk, and they're giving me one. And I'm looking through all these old pictures from like high school, from old concerts, mm -hmm. old like flyers that I made by like hand copying them at like Kinko's. Like, and it's, and it's really blowing, blowing my mind to like look at how serious I was taking stuff then when I felt like I was being serious but I mostly felt like I was playing around but I really did all these things and I continue to do this these things based on my like gut my like intuition tells me what is going to be the next best move and I feel like it's always been right you know and by right I mean it's always led me to something where I where I grew from it where I got money from it or I got respect from it or I learned a good lesson yeah, yeah. It, it's like you have faith knowing that you're building towards something and none of it's going to waste. Like Straight it's up. either a lesson or you're accumulating, 
you know, hours in terms of skill and technique. And I got nothing to lose. Like, like I remember the first night I went to, uh, to Brooklyn, I was staying in Brooklyn, but I went to a concert in Chinatown in Manhattan. Chinatown. And I remember I went to see this group, Ninja Sonic. I was a fan of them. The uh, person I went to the concert with, she had left early, so I stayed at the concert solo because I had nothing better to do. Stayed there till the bar closed. I saw Ninja Sonic hop in a cab. One of their crew members was like, yo, who's uh, going to Brooklyn? I hop in the car. They like, what? who the fuck are you? I'm like, bro, look. I'm going to Brooklyn. I'm, I'm from Houston. My name is Fat Tony. I'm a big fan of y'all. It's my first time out here. I'm staying somewhere in Brooklyn. I don't know where, but let me at least ride across the bridge with you. And they were like, damn, you really bold for hopping in this car with some random grown-ass men, but come and ride. And they ended up being some of my first friends there and some of my like. What, what genre friends. is that? Rap? They were a rap group, but they were kind of on like the punk rock side. Too. Ninja Sonic, punk yeah, rock. Yeah, they were like some boys that like fuck with bands like uh, Japanther. Um, one of their biggest songs was called Tight Tight Pants. This this this, <laughs> this, this is back in like the in, in like the 08, 09 area where like niggas wearing skinny jeans was sort of controversial and like they were some of the guys advocating for it. E- even though hip hop really, <laughs> even though hip hop like Grandmaster Flash and like. Broken oh, yeah, glass yeah. everywhere. Had, yeah, people pissing in the stairs. They they honestly had tighter pants on. Yeah, that shit was like leather painted on type some of shit. Some disco shit. That's some Eddie Murphy raw delirious type shit. But I've always fucked with that. I've I've always fucked with people within hip hop who are on the alternative shit. Mm-hmm. You know, that's like a lot of the reason why I was a fan of your music too. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm always down with like hip hop artists who are down to be a little bit experimental, whether that means being funny or being serious or using weird types of beats or using weird weird types of slang like Hella all dark. of our face it's like dark. a whole it's like a whole you know any anything that could be seen as a counter to whatever is the mainstream at the time in uh, rap music I'm always going to advocate for it cuz that's you know where I come from Houston's entire music legacy when it comes to rap is about being being an alternative Screw isn't a, a mainstream sound. Most of rap lot artists weren't the mainstream type of artists. And yeah, and even rap, even rap lot as as a label because we're on the third coast. Really, I blame. I almost blame like like the media, like Hollywood propaganda. Because when people here in Texas now it's different. Now they know. Like we got a lot of spotlight, you know, mm-hmm. recently. But now they know. Like oh, this is a major city, or like they they're doing their thing. Um, but for the most part, man, a lot of times, sometimes when you deal with like folks in LA or New York, <clears throat> a lot of times they assume y'all country bumpkins, y'all really don't know what the fuck y'all doing. Yeah. Like, do y'all even have cameras down here? Like, yeah. <laughs> like they don't know that there's an actual scene and there's actually like good production crews that know how to light and, and film and shoot and storytell and, and, or even, um, but at the same time, a, a lot of New Yorkers had a big, big, impact reason on on um like a lot of times a lot of good looks that I would get mm-hmm. like whether it was MTV it was n- producers from New York that were producing that segment and they requested I that I be on it yeah. along with Mike Jones and everybody else they put on there um magazines XXL Source anytime I was featured in anything like that it was a New Yorker 9 times out of 10 yeah um just a lot of good looks like that oh Nori 
he put me on his Mas Mai song. That to nice. This, yeah, like to this day, anytime they're doing like a reggaeton song, it might get thrown in there. Like That's in a, so a reggaeton tight. segment, like That's if so a DJ's tight. doing a mix, they're going to hit him with some gasolina. They might hit like Oye Mi Canto and some other shit. But, um, but I have to give props to New Yorkers. And I went to school in Jersey, but I never, I never fathomed that people out there yeah. would, would get it. And uh, I remember when I went to school in Jersey, man, a lot of my friends from out there, like, they fucked with Scarface Heavy. Like, yes. Like, they didn't really know who Lil Kiki was so much at the time. They didn't. They really didn't even know who Outkast was so much at the time. Yeah. But they were like, oh, yeah, Scarface? Yeah, I'm getting it. I'm getting yeah. that album for sure. Yeah. And I was like, oh, well, you know he's from my hometown, you know? Yeah. Face is like a different beast. Face is like, face is like a rock him type of level of like fame and respect like people think he's one of the best songwriters yeah. of all time mm-hmm. you know like like I bet there's people out there that don't even like rap music but they like a Scarface CD shit I was listening to a, um, it was a fucking Joe Rogan podcast with like uh, uh, what's the name Joey Diaz and like mm. I think Burt Kreischer like these other comedians and, and somehow it came up like this year Halloween fell on a weekend they're like yeah. wait is that the ghetto boys and they yeah. were talking about Houston but just because, like, just the fact that we're, like you said, an alternative of some other shit. Everybody, when they think of hip-hop or rap on the mainstream, automatically it's New York yes. or West Coast. And they forget. Even, even, even like, Chi-Town or Midwest, sometimes they get overlooked. Totally. But, like, we're the third coast. Like, people don't even know. We're the last to be thought about. <laughs> <laughs> and, and especially these days, man, it's kind of tricky. Like, even, like, in 07... When I was really, really pushing on the music side around that time, um, it, it felt like the business a lot of times, besides when like the Swisher House era, right? Besides mm-hmm. when everybody was getting deals and stuff. But like for the most part, it felt like the business was just flying over us. Yeah. Like, oh totally shit, agree. Miami's popping. Oh shit, they flying from LA over us, going to Atlanta. They're setting yeah. up shop. You know, Nashville's doing his thing on these other genres and you know, I mean, I can't complain. There's a lot of people from here, you know, doing their thing. But um, we've always just gone the indie route. That's why I love the Bay Area. Yeah. And, and, and cats out of Memphis that out the trunk and stuff like that. That's another thing that's really important to me that I've thought about as I look back at my, my old flyers and old CDRs that would burn and like sell at shows and have the mall and shit. You know, that like entrepreneur spirit. That like wanting to make it yourself, that is directly comes from me being from Houston. Like you just innovative I mean? and resourceful. Huh? Yeah, just it's like being like, fuck it, press up your own CD, make your own flyer, book your own show. Like, like I started doing that from the jump too. Whereas as I've grown up, I've like met a lot of artists from all over and everybody didn't have that same experience. A lot of folks went to go pay to play or like find a promoter, try to like get on, rather than me, I would call the bar and be like, how much how, how to have the night? You exactly. know what I mean? It, would you say that that a lot of that comes from like some of that like immigrant work ethic? Like, Did your dad influence a lot of that? That's just... Maybe. Maybe on a subconscious level. Yeah. Because like, he is the type of guy who is like, you know, serious man, stern man. He's all about working. As most he's immigrant a, parents. He's the type of guy who's <laughs> like, yo, I'll, I'll take any... Job. He has a great job now and has had a great, you know, has had a career being an engineer in, uh, in like oil and gas. But he told me when he first came here to put himself through uh, college, he was a straight up janitor. 
for like years. He would like go like class, go and clean up shit at night, sleep in a motel sometime, you know, and, and like he doesn't talk about it with like shame. He's like, yo, I did what I had had to do to get yeah. this money to get where I want to be by any means. Hitching a ride, cause, like cause whatever. Because guess what? Guess what? You know, he came from Nigeria, right? Mm-hmm. If he if he was too proud to take a job, then guess I mean, then what the fuck? You just yeah. came from from across the ocean. Yeah. yeah. Now what? <laughs> now what? You too good to take the job? Sorry about that screaming. Like. Like my dad has a lot of them stores, like dishwasher and yeah, uh, and, and you know, I mean he fucked off a lot of little money, whatever he was making too. He'd turn <laughs> up, he would turn up too. But um, but yeah, I, I think like the immigrant work ethic. I think I I don't know if, it, if I just have it in me or that's like an influence. But when you were just saying how when you really want something and you're like 21, that's what, like when I started too. Like when you. When you're in that age and you're diving in, yeah, like you have to mind fuck yourself and somehow believe, even though you have no shred of evidence that it, the shit's even fucking logical. Yeah, that it's even remotely possible. And sometimes I, um, this on subject, off subject. When I explain to some younger cats the equipment that I started on in the mixtapes, um. I did a few albums or a couple mixtapes on this thing. It was called like a Roland. It was basically a four track, mm-hmm. the first little like digital all in one mobile studio. Mm-hmm. But it's so rudimentary, man. Like the little screen, it looked like a TI eighty two, like a like yeah. a Game Boy. Yeah. And so I, I explained it to cats. I'm like, look, I had to kind of mix as I was going, as I was recording. I was having to ride the level. Word. I was having if I'm gonna do an ad lib, I got to do it from the very beginning all the way to the very end, hooks and all. Straight up. And I had to bounce it out, mix it myself to a CD burner, like just the long, long fucked up way because there was no other way. It's what I and- did too. <laughs> I've had a Radio Shack mic. I had a, a software called Cool Edit. And I would record me and all my homies. My house was where all my friends came up to record music because I had a computer. And I mixed everybody's record. I recorded everybody's vocal. Like, oh, everything. Like, shit, we gonna, I press the CDs. I print out the track list. I made, I'm like, we, we going to do this for yeah. real, for real. Somebody download Photoshop. Yeah, straight up. We going to do it. Hey, let's go it's to like, Kinko. It's like... Especially when you're young, first of all, you don't really have much else to do. You probably don't have a serious job. You know, really going to high school and, and going through m- most of colleges, especially the first half, is very easy. Like, you have a lot of time. So you can dedicate it to not doing shit or trying to learn something. Yeah, my shit was, um, I found a way to get on college radio out there in Trinity. And then I would, then I had this, um, I had the work study job, but then I had this one job where I had to go door to door and try to sell siding mm-hmm. to people. And it was um it was like nine bucks an hour at the time plus commission. I didn't nice. give a I didn't give a fuck about the commission. I just wanted that steady nine dollars an hour because I'd be on my phone. Like they drop us off in the subdivision in the van and like, all right, y'all hit them cul-de-sacs, come back, we're gonna meet up, hop in, we're gonna hit these, da da da. And uh, I was on the phone calling rap a lot. I'm calling yeah. Rec Shop Records, Dope House Records. I'm calling all the, the local labels. I need to interview your artists. I'm on there. Straight and, up. you know, they're, they're probably thinking like, oh, it's some radio station from San Antonio. I'm not going to tell them it's college radio off yeah. top. If they can't make it, I'll come to them. I interview Big Mo. He nice. Fell, rest in peace. He, uh, he fell asleep on me. That's amazing. <laughs> you know what I mean? The bar baby. 
the bar, baby. I went up to Rex Shop. I got to see Rex Shop where like Sali was back there making beats and you know, Big Pokey and them. I'd go up to Southwest Wholesale, man, and rest in peace, Southwest Wholesale. Like I didn't get to I didn't get to take advantage of that system, but mm. supposedly they were like giving people advances, giving people basically like deals. People are getting distribution. You have a budget to go next door to Pen and Pixel, get your pictures taken. And uh, this is a funny story. One time, um, this one cat wanted to sign me, and he was like, yeah, you know, we got an account over there at Pen and Pixel. We can go get your pictures taken tomorrow. You know, we got distribution with uh, uh, Southwest Wholesale. Blah 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 blah. I was like, oh okay, yeah, I know, I know Garland Ghetto up there at Southwest. I, I met, uh, you know, the main guy and oh, Pen and Pixel. I interviewed the owner, Sean Brock, and they're like, God damn, man, like you couldn't finesse me yeah. into a fuck deal because I I was already just trying to be in the mix. Like every artist should know that. Like like if you got a company calling you to work with you, you need to get on LinkedIn, look up who works there. Where they worked before, what they've been doing, like, 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 you need to know, you need to know, and especially if, like, like, if I'm on the other end, if if I'm the record company or the manager, and I want you to be my client or like be my artist, and I'm stepping to you, trying to trying to you know, polish polish it up, hype it up, make it sound beautiful, and you telling me that you know of this and that, I'm like, I'm more willing to work with you. Cause it's like, damn, this is somebody that's like serious enough to do their research. Maybe if if I give them a budget to go do a project, they're gonna actually do it the right way. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're gonna take it seriously. They're gonna know who the who who the distributor is. They're gonna know who's doing the artwork. They're gonna know what where our publicist is gonna send it to. They're gonna ask for a fucking report. Yeah. You know what I mean? You 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 really you really gotta treat this like a real job, and I don't mean that in like a corny way. I just mean that in a professional sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because there's so many aspects to the business, and um, so you're independent. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the times we hung out, uh, I think either when you took me up to uh, Altafonte in Mexico City to meet mm-hmm. with the distributor, <clears throat> but we were talking about like Spotify numbers and all this type of shit. Some mm-hmm. of the data that I didn't really keep track of. Uh, that you schooled me on that. So, like, are there some markets that are, like, really checking for you that just blow your mind? Like, I'm popping in. Absolutely. So, when, like, Spotify first came out, I personally slept on it. You know, a lot of folks did. Spotify's numbers started to really go up in, like, the last two to three years. Really the last two years, I think. I think in 2015 is when I personally started seeing more of my friends using it, and I started to see bigger data for, for my music on like Spotify. plays and stuff like plays that. Plays and stuff. That is something that has been really important to me in, in the past couple of years because due to the algorithms of their playlists and just the whole mechanics of their app, I've been able to reach a lot of people that I didn't reach before via other platforms that my music was on, like iTunes and Bandcamp and SoundCloud. And it's different for every artist. There are certain artists who have a way bigger reach on Bandcamp or bigger reach on SoundCloud. I just saw the increase in my Spotify first, so I started pushing that as my main way to listen to my music because a new person could come check me out and be like, oh, this guy has this many streams. Oh, he must be serious. Mm-hmm. You know? Because um, it shows the number right there. Yeah. Yeah. So that is something that's like 
that 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 I've had to learn about in the in the past year, really. You know, in this past year, I was lucky enough to get on the New Music Friday playlist, which is like a big top forty playlist for for new records. I like got on the cover of the of of the Fresh Finds playlist, which is like a big playlist like indie artists. You know, these are playlists that are really like highly sought after, and I only got on them because. Spotify noticed my numbers going in a positive direction and I had a meeting with them and they broke down to me like, like, yo, we're meeting with you because your numbers are doing this. And it's not as easy as the numbers being like high. It's like a certain ratio that they saw. And that's a new lesson for me, you know? And like, not, not only did I find that out from meeting with them, I've talked to friends of mine who are A&Rs who have told me the same thing about how they've gone to Spotify to learn too, you know? Being in entertainment, there's always something new to get educated about. Especially with that technology changing. Man, when, I tell these youngsters all the time, when, when I got in the game, MySpace didn't exist. Mm-hmm. I, I know I'm dating myself. MySpace didn't exist. YouTube wasn't a thing. Like in the very, very beginning, like you had to go to the flea market or out the trunk or mm-hmm. something, um, which I always take pride in because even to this day, like we'll meet, fans that come to the comedy shows be like, man, you, you know, man, I used to see you over there at the, you know, it's almost like, um, yeah. it's like when you hear stories about like, like, let's just say like a comedian where it's like, man, I used to see, man, George Lopez used to do this little, this little open mic over here all the yeah. time type of thing. Uh, I take pride in that. But yeah, technology, man, it's changing. I, I need to, I've had music on the back burner, but I need to dive in a little bit, a little bit deeper into just. Like, do you distribute with them direct, or do you? Go I do through? my music through this company called the uh, Orchard. Okay. Orchard. And I was with Red at first, but this year the Orchard bought bought Red. Where's so, Orchard out of? I don't know. No. Red Red's office is in New York. Uh huh. Since they changed over, I haven't been to the office. Only my manager has, but I think the Orchard bought that. That like building out, bought out that office. So like now, Red's old office in um, in uh, New York is, is is like the Orchard's office. But Orchard does a lot of movie shit. I mean, like visual, I saw that right? too. Because Lu- when Louis C.K. had yes. some shit coming out with them, and then he was showing his peepee to people. Yeah. And then the Orchard was like, which, which I also didn't know until that came out. I only know of the Orchard as being a big music. Distributor, cause cause the orchard's been around for like a while now, since since at least the nineties. Oh, you know, and I I think just in this this past year they fucking. Well, I used to up. I used to deal with a company that I think was called the Orchard. I'm not too sure, but uh, if I'm not mistaken, they were out of like the Midwest or like Minneapolis or something. This might be right now. This might be a different orchard. Hold on, we can find but, out um, right now. You know, anything that you don't know, Google it. That's yeah. all I got to say. You see, you youngsters, man, you have all of the knowledge of the human race in your front pocket. And I say yeah. Google it as one word. Google it. Yeah. Google, Make it happen. Google it away. <laughs> so the Orchard is founded, based in New York. Yeah, yeah, it's always been there. Okay, it must have been a different, a different Orchard I'm thinking mm-hmm. about. It's always been in New York City. Started in 1997. Wow. So, um, real quick before I forget, Aleman and what's the name of the crew out there in Mexico City? Ale- Aleman, Yoga Fire. Damn, what's what the a, boy's click name? What a crew. Yeah, yeah. Uh, them boys click name. Hold up. 
Yeah, I can get on uh, Instagram too. But shout out to Aleman, man. Um, um, shit, I'm, I met all homegrown them. mafia. Yeah, homegrown. Homegrown mafia. Them niggas is wild. And they, yeah, and and they doing their thing, man. I be looking at um, like Aleman on Instagram. He yeah. he doing them big shows like all over. All over Mexico. So he'd be like, yo, we're going to be in uh, Hermosillo this weekend. Yes. And you see the pictures and that, that man, like even like Sekan, he's from Guadalajara. Yeah, yeah. Sekan be working with a title and, and shit like that. And I just can't wait for them to, um, there's always been like that cultural exchange a little bit. It's almost mm-hmm. been like, almost like, uh, for example, uh, Los Primos del Otro Lado, like the cousins from like the other side. Mm-hmm. So like anytime we'd, you know, we were a little bit more city boy, like Americanized. And anytime we'd go visit some of our family in Mexico, like it was just that understanding. Like we're the same blood, we're the same people. Like it, it, it all kind of um, there's a lot of overlap, mm-hmm. but obviously it's like you, you know, there's still those big distinctions. And and just seeing, I don't know, I just feel like man, these are like my cousins from over there, and it's 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 just a matter of time. That they kick the door down over here, mm-hmm. you know, kick the door through the wall. I guess the the uh, Muro, the Trump, um, and I just can't wait to see it. And I'm seeing it happen in comedy too. So there's a lot of Mexican comics that are all Spanish. They starting to come over here and they doing arenas. I love that. You know, they doing arenas over here. Um, and then of course next well 2018, uh, I'm gonna prepare to like as I polish my material, translate it to Spanish. And go hit some shit over there. So I'm gonna do my first all Spanish set. I'm gonna definitely pull up. <laughs> and, City well, show. I think I'm gonna do it probably like Monterrey. And, oh, and that's the reason, a very cool place too. Yeah, and the reason I, I'm kind of doing like that strategically is I know that Monterrey is a little bit more in tune with like the Norteño style yes. that I'm accustomed. Yes. Whereas Mexico City is a whole nother beast. And uh, like for one, Mexico City will boo the fuck out of you. Like, in terms of, like, how my dad has always explained it. Like, over there, they don't play. They're fast. It's like New York. Like, yes. they're fast. They'll take the ring off your hand while, while you know what I mean? Like, while you're not even paying attention. They, they're out there. They're on survival mode. They're hustling. Yeah. Um, and and if, you, if, you, if you're not coming with it, you finna catch all the tomatoes. Yeah. For real. <laughs> I actually so went to that's a my comedy test. show in, in, in Mexico City this uh, summer. My girlfriend's Mexican and, and she understands Spanish and I was just sitting there and it's like getting some of the jokes. I'm like, damn, I get I need to get on Duolingo, step my shit up. In Mexico City? Hell yeah. Did you did you meet her out there? No, no, no. She's 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 like an American. Okay. Mexican. But, American. Um, but her like mom's Mexican. You dig. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. That's what's up, man. I'm telling you, you the ambassador, man. You're gonna create the whole <laughs> the whole blend, man. Uh we rocking, bro. I swear to God. And here we are, man, in third ward. Fat Tony, he's dropping game for y'all. What what is the project you're pushing, or, or what what do you want to announce? I have a new album out right now, called Matt Gregor Park. It's like really an homage to my adolescence, to my early twenties, and to Houston. On this album, I'm talking a lot about things that I experienced in my early to mid twenties here. You know, a lot of like hanging out at the park, going to Whataburger. You know, going to parties. As I get older, I like kind of wanted to like reflect upon that stuff in in my music as I transition into the, the next part of my life. Because I really feel like artists, maybe just people in in uh, general, but like artists definitely go through phases. And I feel like every three 
years of my career, I go into a different phase where I want to do different stuff, maybe dress differently, have a different sound, have like different goals. And I kind of wanted to close the chapter on my last few years of my life because I had been working on this album for like a minute and I had never finished it. it. It went through so many different versions. I started working on this album in 2014 after I put out Smart Ass Black Boy. And I just never got to a point where I was satisfied with it. I kept putting out music, putting out EPs, putting out singles, but I never put out a full-length album. And I finally got to a point this year where I took a lot of the older songs I made, made some newer songs, put them all together, and could finally say that this is what I want my album, Matt Gregor Park, to be. So that's the, the record that's out now. I have a bunch of singles out now that aren't on the album. One is called Son of God. It's produced by, by Ricky Reed. It's out on his label, Nice Life. They're an independent label, even though Ricky Reed is like a pop icon, super, super uh, producer. He's done stuff for Megan Trainor, Kesha, 21 Pilots, Will Smith, all kind of crazy shit. Um, and all that stuff, you can find it on Spotify, on iTunes, Bandcamp, anywhere you can see the name Fat Tony Rap, you'll find my music. And, and, and how'd you pick the name? Is, is it the Simpsons character? Or? So I grew up loving the Simpsons. So in middle school, in our PE class, we would wrestle and slap box and like all this shit. Yeah. One of the kids went home with like a bad bruise. He was a fair-skinned child. And his mom got pissed, came up to the school and was like, yo, my, my son told me that, that, that Fat Tony and these other two <laughs> two boys beat him up and they jumped him. Now we in the honors class, we we like some good kids. We in, you know, the Vanguard pro, pro, yeah. program. Like, you know, we don't get in fights. But they snatched us out of class and they were like, yo, either you gotta go to this reform school or you can accept this like punishment where you sit in this like, basically like a in-school pro program for at-risk young boys. So they put us in this program with like the real knuckleheads, like like niggas selling dope, really fighting, then brought knives to school. And it's me and my two buddies, and, and we take this like class like like twice a week, watch scared straight videos, have like pizza parties, have like men come and like speak to us. And during one of those parties, I'm just doodling on a cup. I write the name Fat Tony, and my buddy next to me sees it and just starts calling me that. So, so my friends were just calling me that for like a year. I, 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 I was heavier, I was like a chubby kid, so it really fit with my whole image. And then I started thinking of, about people like Fat Pat yeah. and Big Hawk and Big Mo, and I thought, you know what, let me take this name that was kind of like a jokey nickname that was thrown on me and make it into something. You know, So when I started making music, I, I went through a few names but then I went back to that Fat Tony name and I decided to stick with it because I thought it'd be a great way to honor all the Houston rappers that yeah. came before me. Man, you know, I love plus it. Plus I want to rep for fat niggas everywhere because I think people <laughs> that get shit on for being overweight is total BS. You know, Especially being a kid, you can really get into a complex because of that. And uh, I feel like putting, putting fat in front of my name and like representing something that might be quote unquote cool to people might break that up a little bit. And now that kid's mom is probably a fan. Like, hey, you straight up, I'm, I'm fucking wonder what <laughs> hey, happened to that you boy. Fat Tony. <laughs> <laughs> my 
be a straight up shit had me shook because I didn't get in trouble back then. Feel oh, me? Yeah, I was Vanguard program too, bro. So I was, I was a nice shit. boy, you know. Yeah. I'm, I'm like telling my mom she got to come up to like the school. They threatened to kick me out. I'm like, damn, what? Am, I'm tripping. I was in the eighth grade, about to graduate. Over a little slap boxing incident. Straight up, some like bullshit. Some, some like straight, like some childish, like you know, like some, some childish shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that little. Uh, that's when that made up bullying. Straight up. I wouldn't even know real bullying. Straight up. We was like, you know, because this kid, what I think it was, this like kid was like younger than us, shared a couple classes with us. And, you know, I got to admit, we were slap boxing with him because he was a sixth grader and like we the eighth graders and like that was just a thing. But it, it wasn't like we're trying to beat him up or like rob him. Like everyone was... Was was play fighting like that? That's just that. some shit we did, yeah. But when he came home and his mom saw it, I can see how she's like, "Oh, my son's getting like bullied," and I don't want him to be hurt. Yeah. And the whole time he wasn't saying shit because <laughs> I think he didn't fuck with one of one of us. I I think he really didn't like my boy Brad. Uh-huh. So he was kind of like, yo, fuck this nigga. Yeah, yeah. He was they, like, fuck yeah, Brad and, and fuck Tony. You know what I mean? <laughs> we were never friends after that. We we never spoke after that. Did uh, did Harvey affect you at all? Luckily, no. It's like shocking because I lived here during Hurricane Ike and that fucked up my house. Like, fucked it up far as like power outage, no 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 water for like a week or two. But this year, Harvey, my parents said the lights flickered, never went out, never lost power, never lost anything, no damage to, to the house. And I was worried because they just got it like fixed up like right before it happened. They got brand new floors and all yeah. this flash shit. And um, I'm just counting my blessings that no one in my family got hurt. I have a couple friends that lost some stuff. I have a friend that lost their car which sucks, but it's mm-hmm. kind of her fault because she parked it on the bottom level of this parking garage. Like the night before the storm hit, she a little stoner, you know, she'd be absent-minded sometime. Yeah, she forgot. She straight forgot. <laughs> she like told us that she straight forgot about the storm hitting. I'm like, yo, you could have moved it up there and you'd be just fine. The crazy thing is um, a while back, you had presented a theory to me. We were having a conversation, I think in the studio, and you said, Houston has a drainage problem, or like yeah. fix Houston's drainage problem. Yeah, and I was like, huh, I never thought about it like that with all the construction and people just dumping stuff. And yeah. the Houston Chronicle, I don't know if you know, Houston Chronicle is doing a six-part like investigative report, b- breaking it down. They're releasing these things like fucking episodes recently. Yeah, yeah. Re- I, after I didn't know about that. So basically, I, I skimmed through part one. Part one was basically saying like some of the developers and. Um, not like lawmakers, but like certain people that had to approve certain shit were all like the same person. Yeah. Like the same people in a way. So basically, long story short, some of what I gathered from it is that these motherfuckers knew they were building in the flood zone. Yeah. Like on the banks of some flood shit. So they, they straight up knew, and it was just a matter of time. But of course, you know, money, greed. Uh, they're like, fuck it, we're gonna sell all these houses, and then yeah. that's y'all's problem ten years from now yeah. or whatever. Y'all gotta figure it out, especially when they were having to um, drain all those um, what are they like reservoirs and dams and stuff, which I I didn't really know we had all I that. I heard about that. 
I actually have a friend whose uh, mom had to move out because it didn't flood during the hurricane, but it flooded when they let those go. And like she had to leave her whole shit. <laughs> but, but that whole thing about the developers, like I had a hunch about that only because, you know, in like the Myelan area, like floods a lot. And a friend of mine bought a house out there a few years ago. And I just remember him always complaining about how there'd be like a construction site and he would see fools throwing stuff in like drainage areas, like like just not cleaning it up. And he was like, Man, it's gonna make it it's gonna make it bad when it like storms because it floods bad there. And I know it floods bad there. So I was just thinking, like, damn, is is that part of the reason? You know what I mean? It's kinda of putting two and two together. Yeah. They throwing trash in the fucking drain. This nigga lives here, he sees it every day. This neighborhood floods regularly, some bad's gonna happen. Yeah. Man, we were um we had a gig in Washington DC and we knew the storm was coming and we're like, man, we're gonna either have to cancel this thing or let's drive to Dallas like mm. a day before type of thing. That way the flight still can get out. Yeah. And then so yeah, we I think we were in DC or something like witnessing all this stuff. And then um and then we couldn't come back home. We had to fly back to Dallas. We had to mm -hmm. get a room, you know, camp out like a bunch of other people. Mm -hmm. We got to visit some shelters and meet some people and just see um, and just hear all these crazy ass stories, man. It, it's some it's some wild ass shit. And then of course Astros had to oh, come yeah. re resuscitate us real, real nice. Yeah, needed that, needed that, needed For that. Real. Bad. I I had like a clothing drive in um, L.A. when it happened, and I got tons of donations. Um, got it all sent down here. But even then, I felt like the city needed more, you know, because you need more of a pick-me-up than just getting, like, a little bit of help. And I think that the Astros win definitely brought that home for us. And, and you know what, man? Um, Not to call out names and shit, but, like, Trey brought up some interesting topics which a lot of people, uh, I'm sure, just felt the same way, which is... What do you say? Basically, he was saying, like, man, look, they raised all these millions of dollars with these telethons and these text this and, of course, J.J. Watt. And I mean, I even gathered some money and we sent it to the Greater Houston Community Fund because mm -hmm. Relief Gang wasn't a thing yet. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like all the way, you know, we would, it was... That's we, uh, Trey. Trey, like DJ Mr. Rogers and them. So basically they were like, all right, so y'all so raised millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars and we don't really see firsthand, you know, and I'm sure there's a, there's probably a reason like, well, we just can't document everything or we're, we're doing more than just, you know, going to neighborhoods or whatever. But, but it's a damn good question. Cause it's like, man, you show right. Cause I, I don't, you know, cause I start thinking about like the money that our fans and followers, plus we pitched in, we did some shows in Cal, we we had shows in California already scheduled, and that money we put it towards that fund. Mm -hmm. So we sent it to a Greater Houston Community Fund, but I'm sh I'm hoping, like man, please don't do no crooked, no crooked ass shit. You gotta be careful, sitting. man. You never know, like you know, it's a, it it, it kind of goes back to what we're we're saying about the music business, how being an up and comer or just being a professional now, you encounter people who are like sharks. It is the same way when it comes to like charity. When I had my clothing drive, I gave it to a friend of a friend who I knew owned an 18 wheeler that was gonna personally drive it down here, drive it to the hood and start giving it out door to door. 
something that I could trust. Yeah, exactly. But, but going through an organization, you never fucking know. Especially, man, like, you hear all these stories. Of course, there's documentaries about all the money that was supposed to go to Haiti. Mm-hmm. It just didn't get there. And, like, Puerto Rico, they just now be like, all right, we're going to start counting how many actual bodies. That was, like, in the news today. That's crazy. Like, they still don't kind of know the death count. That's crazy. So devastating. Some crazy ass shit. Well, hey, man, I, I don't want to end it on that note. We're going to have to think of something positive, man. But, <laughs> I mean, shit. But yeah, we're going to bounce back. I think, damn, in, in like one regard, I'm kind of happy that it's been such a crazy year with like so much shit happening on the natural side, natural side with these like disasters that are mostly due to climate change and then all the fuckery that's like happened just in like social circles from like the sexual misconduct that, that mad fools are engaging in. I think it's important to have to to be aware of that stuff and then be aware of the fun stuff like winning the World Series. Like all that side by side is what makes life great. Like like me leaving the ASAP Rocky session, going home to find out that I'm homeless. Like like I literally got home at like five AM. My friend that I was staying with, she was going to work. She was like, Yo, you can't stay here and I took a nap on the fucking stoop. You know what I mean? And that whole story wouldn't have been as sweet to me if I hadn't had both those things happen in like the same night. That's how life is, huh? It's Straight like a up. little bit of a little bit of each, sometimes back to back. That that like whole year, like that that happened. Then like a few weeks later, then like the next week, me and Tom Cruise tried to get an apartment in uh Brownsville, Brooklyn. We got scammed out of our deposit. That was the last of our uh, money. We went to go live with our manager at the time in Jersey City, sleeping on his couch. My my grandma died, and then I had to fly back to Houston. But those two weeks while we stayed on that couch, we made a few songs that later went on my Smart Ass Black Boy album that to this day ended up being some of my biggest songs. And then a month after that, I like went on my first tour. I come back home, I got fired from my part-time job, I I tried to enroll in like class at like UH again. I, I didn't have an, enough paper and I didn't want to take out a big loan. So I got dropped from my classes and they withheld a portion of what I paid already. And then like a couple months later, I got my first record deal. And on January 2nd of the, the next year, I moved to LA. So all this shit happened in like a six month span. And in this time, the ASAP Rocky album came out and, and that got popular, you know, like, Life is crazy like that. It's how it goes. So you were starting around the time ASAP? I, my, my first record deal, uh-huh. when my, my first record deal was for my second and third album, Double Dragon and Smart Ass Black Boy. That's the first time I ever had, like, you know, publicist, agent, you know, a fucking record advance, you know, serious stuff, able to move out of my parents' house. Mm-hmm. Those, like, six, six months getting like fired, seeing my granny pass away, making music, Where getting lots working? of press. I was working at this health food store called called My Fit Foods, which is thankfully out of business now. <laughs> man, sounds like you ain't like that motherfucker. Not at all, man. The, the fucking manager was like was like a fucking not the manager, but like the district manager, this dude. I think his name's Brandon. He was a fuck boy. He was like man, hooking up with like some of the folks working there, he would always hate on me 
like like I took off work to go on this tour and and the acting manager gave me the time off. When I got back, I found out that that person had lost their job and this guy became district manager. And I came into work and he was like, hey, you're like not on schedule. I think we'll be better off without having you around this bitch. And I'm just like, all right. I like go to UH. I'm like kicked out of my class. I'm like, all right. I'm like, damn, I, I ain't got a job. I ain't got school. I'm back from tour. Broke, my grandma dead. What next? Record deal. Record deal. <laughs> Fuck crazy foods. Crazy. <laughs> crazy though. Crazy though. Like you never like, you know, and then in, in other times in my life, there's been similar stuff. Like that's that's like probably the most rocky six months that I've had, but I've had more things good and bad happen and, and they always come back to back and they always make me appreciate the, the blessings just a little bit more. Just a little bit more, man. Everybody gotta, gotta struggle a little bit mm-hmm. to really have fun, I think. Yeah, and to appreciate your wins. Yes. Well, man, love to see you win. Thank you for your time, man. Thanks for representing the city everywhere you go. Um, Shit, it was Mexico City. It was the Houston Texans versus the Raiders. Amazing. Y'all had the fucking club rocking that night. We had Bay Area people in there, yeah. Houston people in there, Mexican people in there. Yes, yeah, I had the time of my life. Thanks for having me go out there and perform. Um, hell, you, we've we've been on the same lineup several times. Uh, you introduced me to like the Das Races uh, folks and nice. uh, that rap group. But man, keep doing what you're doing, man. Keep putting on for us in LA. Enjoy your time here while you're home. And uh, shit, let's get some water burgers. Let's do it. <laughs> Already, bro. Thank you so Jeez, much. Thank you. Hell yeah. Tell me. That's a cool episode. <laughs>